Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So we're in a series of messages about talking about not being ignorant of our enemy, the devil. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, least Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Uh, I grew up in church, but in the church that I grew up in, what we taught was that everything that happened was God's will, no matter what it was. We just said, well, that's God. If you've got a divorce, God sent you a divorce. Got in an accident, God gave you an accident, right? That is not what the Bible teaches at all, right? In fact, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. So the Bible teaches us that we have an enemy. The Bible says he is your adversary. He's going around looking for someone to devour. Now, he devours ignorant people and he devours passive people. Right? So the Bible says don't be passive. You need to resist. But most Christians in Western world live their entire life and they could never tell you when they resisted the devil. Now, resisting the devil is not simply resisting temptation. It's resisting his works. Jesus said, John 10, 10, he said, the thief, the devil, he comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus said, the things that bring abundant life, they're the things I bring. The things that kill, steal and destroy, those are the things the devil brings. Least Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. So we have been looking at how Satan attacks, right? And he will attack, if you're a Christian, uh, he's going to attack you. And so he says, well, I just have never had any type of a confrontation with the devil. That's because you're going the same way. You know, when you're going in the same direction, you probably won't have much of a confrontation with the devil. But if you start going in a different direction, you will have a confrontation. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 28, it says, Jesus is speaking. He says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is saying that a confrontation with the demonic is a sign of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not when you die and go to heaven. Right? Jesus began his ministry, and this is what he said. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here or at hand. He said, it's now, it's available, it's for you, it's for today. So the kingdom of God is not something you die and go to. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come. Right? So Jesus wasn't trying to get us to go to the kingdom. He's trying to get us to walk in the kingdom today. And part of the kingdom of God is a confrontation with the demonic. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the picture that most Christians have 
is that Satan is attacking and we, the church are hiding behind some gates and we're just like holding out. In fact, I remember growing up in church, we sang a song called hold the fort. Anybody remember that song? I see a few hands. I've got a few of the words here. See the mighty host advancing Satan leading on mighty men around us falling courage, almost gone. Hold the fort, Jesus says, for I am coming. That is sick. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say we would be cowering behind the gates, hoping that the devil would not knock the gates down before Jesus came back and rescued us. It's the exact opposite. Jesus said, the devil's gates are not going to prevail against the church. That's a picture of us plundering hell to populate heaven. That's a picture of the church knocking down the gates of hell. That's a picture of a victorious church, a church with authority. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Mark 16, these signs will, be, that will follow those that believe in my name. They will cast out demons. See, the, the, the picture that Jesus gives is of the church of Jesus attacking the devil's kingdom and plundering his kingdom. Not of a wimpy church, defeated, hiding, holding out, but a church that is advancing. In Matthew chapter 16, and, and by the way, this is what Jesus said, that the works that I do, he said, will you do also and even greater works because I go unto the Father, right? He, ha- he pictures a church that is victorious, a church that is confronting the works of the devil and defeating the enemy. Matthew chapter eight and verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him, that's Jesus, many who were demon possessed. He cast out the spirit with a word and healed all that were sick. Again, the King James, New King James, demon possessed. Uh, or possessed with devils. It's really kind of an unfortunate translation. The Greek basically says this is demonized, just demonized. Or, Or Williams translates it like this. Many who were under the power or the influence of the devil. Others have just translated it have demon trouble. Right? So we have been talking about what does it look like when we are under a demonic attack? The Bible says we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices, right? First John five, verse 19 says, we know positively that we're of God and the whole world around us is under the power or the control or the sway of the evil one, right? Uh, some people think with well, the devil, if there's any devils, they're, they're often some third world country. That is not true. The whole world. The whole world around us is under the power, the control of the of the evil one. Uh, There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. The Bible tells us in Colossians one, you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. 
So we're, look, we're, we're actually looking at an extreme case of uh, demonic activity in Mark chapter 5. And I want to read um, this account again, then break it down and uh, hopefully finish this off this morning. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, but he has often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what do I have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you don't torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he, as Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we're many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he wouldn't send him out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told him how it had happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But, to, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, how he had compassion on you. And he departed and to begin to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's this 10 city region, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, this man over a period of time became demonized. Now, the Bible does not give us an exact how did this happen, right? Normally, there is some sort of yielding, some sort of an open door, hatred, bitterness, perverse sexual activity, idolatry. In fact, in this case, it says that he has an unclean spirit. 22 times in Jesus' ministry, an unclean spirit is mentioned. And it is a sexually perverse spirit. It talks in Romans chapter 1 about doing people doing unnatural sex, men with men, women with women, using, leaving the natural use for that which is against nature. Those are the things that produce an unclean spirit, a perverse sexual spirit. Right? What happened in his case, he began to cut off association with other people from his friends and his family. When he gets delivered, Jesus said, go back to your friends. Right? You were created for relationship, right? but the devil will try to isolate you. He became insane. Per day, they would probably have ju just said that he was clinically insane, but he's driven by demons. He lives near the sea in cliffs. Well, he's living in tombs 
And these tombs are where they bury people, right? He lives in the cemetery. He wears no clothes. He mutilates his body. He's cutting himself, right? He has no rest. The Bible says day and night, always, day and night, he's moving, he's running around, he's cutting himself, he's screaming, he's howling. People are afraid of him because he has become so violent. They have taken him and put him in iron chains and shackles. And by demon power, he breaks them apart. But when Jesus came to the region, that man saw Jesus from afar. And the Bible says he ran and he fell at Jesus' feet and he worshiped him. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. But the devil can't make you do it. Right? This man had 6,000 demons in him. And when he saw Jesus, he said, somehow, if I can get to Jesus, there's hope. I can be made normal. I can be delivered if I can get to Jesus. Every demon was telling him to run in the opposite direction. Jesus confronts that demon, casts that demon out. The demons go into the swine and immediately the swine run off the cliff and commit suicide. And as I mentioned before, this is the first case of devil's hams right there. Got him. Some of you will catch that later. <laughs> First, number one is a withdrawal from social interaction. The devil wants to isolate you. Number two, a tormented mental state. This man's going around cutting himself, crying out. Number three, chronic depression. Number four, chronic restlessness. Always, night and day, running around, screaming cutting himself, lewd behavior, unclean desires and behavior. Number six, compulsive and addictive behavior. And now today, number eight, uncontrolled rage, uncontrolled. No one could tame him. They've captured him. They put him in shackles. They put him in chains and he breaks them apart. In uh, 1 Samuel, in the Old Testament, we find King Saul has opened the door to a demon spirit, and that spirit is, is attacking him. And the Bible tells us that twice. Once, he takes a spear and tries to kill David. And another time, he takes a spear and tries to kill his own son. Now, the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil nor give Satan an opportunity. The Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices, all right? We shouldn't give him an opportunity. But one of the ways that we can do that is by unforgiveness, by resentment, by hatred, right? The Bible says he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than one who takes a city, right? But David kills Goliath, as they're coming back, the ladies come out, they're singing, they've got their tambourines, and they saw it. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Now the Bible says, from that time on, that day, Saul lied David. This is what your Bible says. The next day, an evil spirit came. When he opened the door through this hatred, through unforgiveness in his heart, and really it wasn't even that David had done something wrong, is that Saul perceived something that was not even there, right? So the Bible says, don't let that sun go down on your anger. You need to forgive, right? You need to forgive. Uh, a number of years ago, Jeannie and I were reading a book by a, a leading uh, psychologist. 
And this psychologist said, there are some people that do things that are so bad, you should never forgive them. And you just put them in your right pocket and just leave them there. And then you live out of your left pocket. And I remember we're driving along and Jeannie said, that's like putting poop in your right pocket and thinking you won't stink. If you put poop in your pocket, you're going to stink. You say, but it's in my right pocket and I'm going to live out of my left pocket. No, you're going to stink. And when you have unforgiveness, you're going to stink. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, translators, New Testament. It says, don't let anybody fall from God's grace. And at least it spring up and spoils everybody's life. Whose life? Everybody's life. The reason is it's found in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. It says, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. So the person gets up in the morning, they get a smile on their face. But in their bosom, right underneath the surface, they are waiting to explode. Anger is there. And it always comes from unresolved conflict. There is somebody you have not forgiven. And what you think is you think, well, my anger, my, my resentment towards that person is like a laser beam. But it's never like a laser beam. It's always like a hand grenade. The Bible says it spoils everybody's life. If I have unforgiveness towards somebody and I hold that unforgiveness, it's right there underneath the surface, right? Somebody will do the the littlest thing that has nothing to do with what happened to me. But you know what? That anger is there. How many of you, you have said or done the littlest thing to somebody and all of a sudden they absolutely blew up. And you thought, what did I do? Anybody besides me ever had something like that? What did I do? You didn't do anything. What did I do to make them mad? Nothing. They woke up mad. They went to bed mad. Some of them have been mad for a week, some of them for a month, some of them for a year, and some of them for 20 years. And it's just resting right underneath the surface, waiting to explode. If if I hold that resentment and I have that anger on the inside, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my wife, it affects my kids, it affects my grandkids, it affects my friends, it affects my coworkers, it affects the dog, because I'll kick the dog. Because I'm just mad, right? And it's just underneath the surface and just the littlest thing goes wrong, right? What is it? The Bible says, don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold, right? When when we hold that, we, we, we literally open the door for Satan to invade, to attack, our life, right? Again, violent behavior. This man broke the shackles and broke the chains. You wonder why we've got road rage, school shootings, random shooting. I'll tell you why. It's a demonic attack in that person's life. And again, Saul, he tried to kill David. He tried to kill his own son, right? Um, The main ways that people really open the door, right, are sexual perversion, Occult activity, or or we we could say idol worship, right? Unforgiveness. Those are the main ways that we open the door, right? Don't hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. The unresolved conflict, the unforgiveness, right? And again, you think I can just focus that, but you can't. It's never a laser beam. It's always like a hand grenade.
Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one falls away from God's grace, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. Listen, when you forgive, you're not the one who gets set free. Well, the other person isn't the one who gets set free. You're the one who gets set free. Someone well said, having unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. They don't die, but you've opened the door for Satan to attack. All right. Uh, number 10 is a fixation on death and occult symbols. Now, we've already talked about the occult symbols, so let me just kind of focus about fixation on death. The Bible tells in 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, this man is living in a cemetery. In those caves where he lives, there's dead bodies. That's where they are. All right. And when these spirits come out, they go into the pigs. And what do the pigs do immediately? They commit suicide. All right. God built you with a natural aversion towards death. Death is not a friend. The Bible says that death is the last enemy. First Corinthians 15. It is the last enemy that's going to be defeated. Right? So what we have today and we have we have singing groups, we have rappers, we have people that are trying to make death appealing and desirable. But God gave you this natural aversion. Anything that promotes death and suicide to be desirable is demonic. It is demonic, right? And again, you are given a natural protection against the demonic. When, when, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve, he comes as a serpent and he comes to deceive. He did not come as a mammoth and say, eat of the tree or I will stomp on you. He didn't come as a saber, a tiger or a lion and say, eat of the tree or I will attack. No, how he came with deception as a serpent. And did God really say, well, you won't really die. See, when we cooperate with the devil, right, we open the door for the enemy. And uh, I just wanted to mention two other things that really do open the door, all right? And one is drunkenness, right? And the other is drugs, right? Now, I'm going to say something here. And, 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 and um, don't send me an email, all right? Because I'm not going to read it, all right? And you say, well, I don't like what you're going to say. Well, I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. So you just listen, all right? Dr having a beer or a glass of wine is not a sin, but drunkenness is a sin. Right? It is a sin. And what happens when you become drunk, your natural inhibitions disappear. Right? And, and more than that, it's like that natural protection that God gave you against a demonic spirit breaks down. It breaks down to the same thing with drugs. When, when, you, when you're taking drugs to have an altered state of mind, you break down that natural protection that God has given you. Now, some of you, you will drive home today and you will go by a, 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 a restaurant and on the sign, this is what it's going to say, food and spirits. That is truth in advertising, right? Because you get drunk, you open yourself up 
to a demonic spirit. Right? That natural protection, it just it dissipates. Right? That last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death itself. Right? Again, number 11, suicide thoughts, suicidal thoughts. Again, the pigs, what do they do? They commit suicide. The things that tell you it's hopeless, right? that, that, that create despair, that focus on death, that encourage death, that make death appealing are demonic, right? In, including Eastern religion where they tell you, well, you die and you just kind of float off into the cosmos in you know, nirvana and, and it's just all great. It's all great. It's desirable. No, no, it is not. In fact, Satan's ultimate triumph is to trick a person into committing suicide. Right? Now, I'm going to say something again. I want you to listen. I do not believe that every person who commits suicide goes to hell. And I want to tell you why. You can be sick in your body and it be an attack from the devil. How many of you realize that? And you can be sick in your mind and it's attack from the devil. Right? And he deceives you. Right? He has tormented you and deceived you. Right? Nevertheless, it is Satan's goal to get you to take your own life, right? And then lastly, it says this, neither could anyone tame him. When a person gets to a spot where there is just no help, no help. And the reason is this, your will has been broken down. Second Timothy two, verse 26 says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, Satan, to do his will. Right? So when your will becomes captive, right, you are no longer doing your will. You're doing whose will? The Bible says you're doing Satan's will. Right? Why? Because you are no longer resisting. Right? Here's what happens. You, you remember that it says about this guy, this is that always night and day, nobody could tame this guy. He's constantly out there doing these things. Satan will first infiltrate your soul, your personality. Second, he'll try to influence your soul. Thirdly, he will try to take over your soul. And ultimately, he will try to destroy your soul. But when there's this breakdown, here's what happens. And it can be in so many areas. It can be lust, fear, sickness, depression, jealousy, adultery, uh, lying, suicide, all of these different areas. But, but here's what happens. And I've seen this so many times. This is what somebody says. They said, I will never do that again. And three days later, they did it again. And then they say, I will never do that again. And they do it tomorrow. And they say, I will never do that again. Never. Right? And then they do it again four days later. Now, this is what the Bible says. It says that the devil drove him and seized him. Okay? Drove him and seized him. Right? So you say, I'll never do it again. And it seems like everything's good for about two days, three days. And all of a sudden, it's something that kind of like it grabs you. It seizes you. It drives you. It pushes you. And you do it again. And then you do it again. And you do it again. And it happened for a week, and then it happened for a month, and then it happened for a year, and then it's been five years, and then it's been 10 years, right? And you just can't tame that thing. You cannot get the victory over that thing, right? That is an addiction, right? It's a bondage. What is that? It's a sign of a demonic attack 
on our lives. That's what it is. It's a sign of a demonic attack, right? What did Jesus do? Jesus delivered that man. And when Jesus delivered that man, this is what the Bible says. They came and they found that man sitting. He no longer had that chronic move always, night and day, running around, crying out, howling. It was going. He was sitting. He was in his right mind. Right? He was clothed. He used to be naked, but now he's clothed. Now he's in his right mind, and he's sitting at Jesus' feet, and he's learning, and he's growing. And what does Jesus say to this man who's been delivered? He says, go back to your friends. Go back to your family. He says, you were created for relationship. You tell them what great things God has done for you. It does not matter how long you've been in bondage. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the healer. He saw Jesus from afar. He ran. He fell at his feet. And he worshiped Jesus. And said, Jesus, deliver me. Do you know what? He'll deliver every one of us. He will deliver every one of us. We do not need to be victims of the devil's attacks. All right? Now, let me just close with just one last thought. The children of Israel come to the promised land. And God has said, I have given you the land. They send in the spies. They come back. They say, wow, the land is just like God said. It flows with milk and honey. But there's giants. There's seven nations. There's walled cities, and we can't go in. And unfortunately, that group didn't go in. But 40 years later, their children come to the same place, and they cross over. And God had said, I've given you the land. And they go in, and they dispossess the enemy. Right? And listen, that is a picture of the Christian life. See, the, the promised land is not a type of heaven. How many of you know when you get to heaven, there's no walled cities to conquer. There's no giants to kill. There's not seven nations that are going to oppose you. In fact, if I counted right, it's 115 times that they breach the walls of the enemy city and take possession. But God said, I've given you the land. But they had to go in and take it. All right. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for the father desires to give you the kingdom. But then it says this. It says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Right. There are no wimpy Christians with victory. Right. You got to take it by force. You got to go into your promised land and dispossess that enemy. If he's there, you tell him. No, you're in my promised land. You're in my peace. You're in my healing. You're in my victory. And I'm standing against you in Jesus' name. Right? Because he has given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. It can't hold on you. Flip Wilson said the devil made you do it. And Jesus said, no, I set you free and you don't need to do it. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. And I pray, Father, that the word of God sown in our hearts today 
that it'll bring forth fruit, victory, the kingdom of God in every heart, in every life. And we thank you for that victory that we have in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.